We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Welcome, welcome to this EdLeader panel today. We're excited to have you all joining. We're thrilled to have you here at this EdLeader uh, panel today titled Empowering Families in the Digital Age, Building Inclusive Tech Partnerships. Again, my name is Maggie Pickett. I'm a Senior Technical Assistance Specialist uh, at CAST. I'm joined by two amazing professionals, both educators and parents today, um, Angel and Erica. I'm going to let them introduce themselves in a little bit. They can honor their own story a lot better than I could ever try, um, but we're so grateful that they uh, were able to join us today for this great conversation. So as I mentioned, my name is Maggie Pickett. I'm a Senior Technical Assistant Specialist at the Center on Inclusive Technology and Education Systems, or better known as CITES. CITES is a project funded by the U.S. Department of Education, Office of Special Education Programs. Um, so we, our directive at CITES was to really, oh, we're going to do this quick, a uh, couple housekeeping, a uh, couple housekeeping points. Um, Everything that you see here today is what has been built with accessibility in mind. We do have a few strategies listed here to let you know as you access the slides and all the information. Um, if you do have trouble accessing some of the information, please reach out to us. Um, my information is on this slide and it'll be at the end of the end of the session as well. Everything that we do at Sites is Creative Commons licensed, so it's openly licensed. We just ask that if you use it and you change it, mix it, make it your own, that you just cite us. Um, as you're, as you're sharing that back out into the community. Also, just a quick language check. Um, we, at, at some point in this session, may be using both identity first and people first language. Identity first language um, being uh, using a descriptive term in front um, to describe oneself or one's child, while people, people first language is, is emphasizing the person using the descriptive word last, so being a person with a disability. Both are completely acceptable. Um, I will mostly likely be using people first language today, but our speakers and our, our guests may be using um, identity first. So today we are really focused and uh, talking about inclusive technology systems. CITES was created and funded through OSEP at the U.S. Department of Education to really do one big thing, and that is take us from our current reality where, um, and on the screen here, you're, you'll see um, clay balls, a group of clay balls that are all different colors. These colors are beautiful. Um, there's blues and greens and turquoise and yellows and reds and pinks all scattered in kind of sitting together, but not really connected. Um, and that really represents our current reality with regard to inclusive technology. So when we think about inclusive technology systems and services, it's really about our assistive technology and how that's operating and our instructional or digital um, learning technology and how that's operating, our community partners, our educators, all of us are kind of out here operating in silos, if you will. Have you heard that term? I know we all have. And so um, we're all working to help kids, but we're all doing that separately. And so what the goal of sites is really meant to do we were tasked to create a framework that would help us meet a goal of really being a system, a collaborative system with shared values, shared data, and shared knowledge around the use of technology and how we're using that technology to support inclusive learning experiences for students, where we're helping all kids. The site's framework, this framework that we've been tasked to create was um, 
was created uh, from and enhanced um, the National Educational Technology Plan that was published in this version, 2017. There were a few areas, um, a buckets, er, buckets of areas within that National Educational Technology Plan um, that really kind of gave us the foundation to the framework. And so those buckets or those areas are the areas of leadership, technology leadership, district leadership, technology infrastructure, right? Um, technology, how we're teaching, how we're learning, and how we're using technology for assessment, how those things are operating together. And so um, as we've kind of gone along this journey, we're now in year five of this funding, uh, we recognized one key thing. And that's that family engagement is a key component across every area of this framework. So when we think about leadership, what, how do we need to engage families, um, our family partners in that conversation? When we're talking boxes and wires, how do we need to engage families in that conversation? Teaching, learning, assessment, how does that look and how are we engaging families in that conversation? And lucky enough, one of our panelists today, um, Dr. Angel Morgan, she actually helped us. She came alongside the project um, as first as an intern, but then as um, just a, a research assistant a researcher, we assisted her and her research to really discover what, what do we need? How do we need to be engaging families? And so um, her, uh, her research project uh, was part of her dissertation. Um, we surveyed 320, she surveyed 326 members of K-12 students uh, with disabilities from across the U.S. Um, those family members completed an online survey. We then um, we had conversations and did some focus groups with 10 of those family members and then looked at all of the data and, and um, really kind of sorted and sifted. And that's how we created these framework areas. So it's really exciting. Um, Angel, you can touch more on some of that research here in a minute when we when we dive in. Um, and we're going to do that now. We really wanted to save a lot of time so you all could hear from these amazing professionals. So let's get to it. All right, um, so let's hop into the panel. Hopefully you can see Angel and Erica. Um, I'd love if you both could tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your professional background, and definitely please tell us about your family and, and, and that background as well. Thanks, Maggie. Uh, I started my career as a middle school teacher, technology education, um, and then went on to work in IT uh, for about 15 years uh, before deciding to move on and pursue my doctorate in education. Um, during my doctoral program in the last year, I uh, had the opportunity to intern with CAST, uh, conducting a literature review, which then eventually led into uh, my dissertation topic, um, which we will get around to later. Um, and now, uh, as a full-time faculty member at Arizona State University, um, I teach online courses in instructional design and inclusive educational technology. Uh, in my personal life, I'm the mother of two teenagers, one with ADHD, uh, one with autism, uh, both of whom use assistive technology for uh, learning support. And I'm Erica Chapman. Um, I am from South Carolina. You can tell by my accent. And I, my background is, my background and degree is in music therapy. And I worked in different settings, clinical setting, um, psychiatric facilities, residential facilities, um, clinics, 
And then I ended up staying home with my children for a number of years and then stepped back into education. And now most recently, the past four years, I've served as the parent liaison for our programs for exceptional children program here um, in Florida, South Carolina. Um, I'm married and we have four children, three boys and three biological boys. And then we adopted um, a little girl when she was four and she has significant disabilities, which kind of even furthered my um, knowledge base of um, working with students with disabilities. Um, she has cognitive disabilities, but then also um, complex, complex communication needs, which um, she uses an eye gaze device for her communication. So that has taught me tons. Um, and thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you for being here. So as a field, you're, you're both educators. Um, so, you know, as a field, we know that family engagement is important. It's in, um, it's in law, right? It's in the Every Student Succeeds at. It's documented how we need to be engaging um, families. It's in uh, Individuals with Disabilities and Education Act. Again, it's documented how we need to be operationalizing our family engagement. But let's flip the script a little bit. As parents of children and youth with disabilities, why do you feel family engagement should be a critical area of focus for districts and educators in the classroom working to implement these kind of inclusive technology practices around um, incorporating uh, the use of assistive technology um, and, and instructional technology? Uh, sure. Uh, family engagement is is really essential in, in education systems. Uh, it forms sort of a strong network to link school and home. Um, teamwork is really motivating and keeps parents actively engaged in their kids' education, especially for parents of students with diverse abilities. Um, parents know their kids like no one else does. Um, so involving them in kind of tech decisions helps ensure that students get the personalized sort of solutions that really meet their needs. Um, and then you also can help turn really into um, families providing insights into the resource gaps and training needs and the tech hurdles within the schools. Um, parents are tech savvy, so a lot of them have more information than a lot of the parent, a lot of the technology specialists and and school personnel. So they can help steer schools into the right direction to get the right technology. Um, and and lastly, really, families are the best source of, of student data. Um, it's really sharing how, you know, insight into how you can handle the data, where you're sharing it, um, and really keeping that transparency forms stronger school family bonds. Um, I agree. I was one thing that, um, Angel, you said, basically, parents are the expert on their child in most ways. Um, so if we aren't tapping into that, then we're missing, we're going to miss gaps. But also if we are wanting to teach um, students something that they can use in life um, and we're not implement and we're not collaborating with the parent, then we are going to, um, we're missing a huge um, area because they, we want them to transfer those skills to home. And so if we're not communicating with the parent and even educating the parent as well, then it's not going to transfer. That skill's not going to transfer to home. Um, and we're not going to be with the students forever. We want them to gain these skills um, and be able to utilize them the next year and the next year. Um, also, we really need to understand what the parents want and what the student wants. You know, sometimes we will have the best intentions and try and um implement a new program or something new on their computer or something new with maybe their AAC device. 
when that is really not even a goal that the parent has for the student. We need to make sure we understand um, what the capability of the parent is, the capability of the home. Um, so we're setting them up for success. And so that starts with building that relationship with the parent um, and pulling them into the process from the beginning, not just once we've taught the student, but from the beginning, from assessment, um, evaluation, and then implementing and teaching them. That's awesome. Um, Eric, I'm going to go off script here just a, a second. Um, you mentioned um, kind of taking taking ownership and, and allowing the uh, parents a little bit of agency to kind of discuss what they've learned because they are the experts, right? Have you discovered a strategy or a way to approach classroom educators or even um, building or district administrators to share that perspective in a way that um, doesn't put up more fences or barriers, but really kind of is an open door and inviting way to collaborate? I think using the stories of the students that have had success in the past, being able to, obviously with permission from those families, but be able to share how um, the strength of collaborating with the parent and you know walking hand in hand with them through the process and the success that comes with that versus um, trying to create our own plan and then just kind of bring the parent in later on, trying to sell them on what we've decided. Um, because so often, um, you know, we obviously have these gifts of this knowledge that we want to share with families. And there's so much now that technology brings and provides opportunities for students that parents don't even know about, but they can become very defensive if they just feel like we're trying to change um, the way their kid learns or change their future without including them. Um, so I think, yeah, you trying to use stories, it does help. And I'm sure Angel can share just having a true parent perspective and living out some of this day to day kind of um, gives me a different voice where sometimes they will be less um, oppositional or, you know, more willing to hear it out because I am trying to live this out, too. Um, but definitely using the, the stories of the people that they know um, to, to bring it home to them. Angel, did you have anything you wanted to add on to that? Yeah, I think part of the key is also just, you know, leading with empathy, um, coming from an understanding that, um, you know, the parent or the family member is not just the family member of one child. They're also that person. And don't let the child sort of be the representation or the parent be the voice of the child completely. I think you have to acknowledge the whole family unit and acknowledge the fact that there are like, you know, like an educator has many things going on in their life and we can't expect them to drop everything and grade every assignment every night and do everything right away. I think, you know, you've got to kind of give a little bit of give and take there and a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of grace, I think is really important to um, sort of understand where they're coming from and the situations which they have. Um, just basically find out what the family sort of, if you're talking, you know, educator, what the baseline of the family is, get that idea of who they are and how they work together and how they communicate. And then, you know, work with them and use, you know, what works for them in order to help have success for the student. So powerful. I mean, um, 
big words there, empathy, um, really getting to know the person, um, grace. It just sounds like just kind of that really bringing humanity into the conversation and just bringing it to that human level. Uh, thank you both for sharing. Um, so my colleague, Christine Fox is in the chat today. If you, um, and thank you, Christine, she's going to be throwing some links in there that'll take you over to sites.cast.org and some different resources that we have that really kind of align and really kind of can support some of these conversations that Erica and Angel are bringing up today. Um, and one of the things, if you hear some um, potentially if you hear some acronyms that aren't familiar um, or any other terms that are unfamiliar today, we have a great glossary over on the webpage. You can kind of uh, work your way through there. Uh, and as we kind of keep rolling, sometimes it's hard to, to get away from that alphabet soup, as Christine calls it. So thanks for throwing that into the chat, Christine. Let's keep rolling. Um, Angel, we ta I talked a little bit ago um, and shared with everyone that you um, did your dissertation, helped us with a lit review that led into this dissertation. Um, you, can you tell us a little bit about that um, research? What what was that process like? What did you learn? Um, were there any surprises? I'm really excited to kind of share this, this journey with this group today. Sure. Uh, the sites team, uh, this was really a collaborative effort. Um, we, um, along with myself and another intern, Yocasta Urena, um, who is also the parent of a student with disabilities, um, had uh, created a uh, the survey in Qualtrics. And then we contacted various community agencies, which serve students with uh, diverse abilities. And um, we were able to distribute the survey uh, online through Qualtrics. We provided the link to those agencies and um, we ended up with 326 responses. And then um, quick turnaround, we ended up with 10 families who volunteered subsequently to meet with us for focus groups. And then um, kind of combined all the results and wrote them up um, and created um, several sort of family practice pages that you can find on the site site uh, based on the sort of the practical applications of what I found. Um, but sort of a general summary of, of what it came out was um, surprisingly only about 38% of uh, parents families reported that uh, school and district leaders um, actually asked them about technology goals and planning. Um, families generally indicated a need for better communication, uh, more training for teachers and technology, um, especially regarding assistive and accessible technology tools um, for technology infrastructure. Uh, less than half of the leaders actually had checked in with families on what hardware or software they actually needed. Um, families really here stress the importance of looking at the quality and accessibility of technology before purchasing or provisioning it. Um, regarding assessments, families really expressed interest in being included in decision making, um, believing that we can actually use the data for positive systemic changes, um, just being transparent in that. Um, and then I think the most positive aspects we found were the classroom level. Um, sort of a 85% of educators had asked families about how students learn best um, in order to adapt their lessons with technology accordingly. Um, parents are really positive about the uh, educator uh, feedback there. Um, and then outside of the classroom, uh, families went decided they wanted more resources for homework and out of school learning. So they 
they, families are really thirsty for information. They, they want to know this stuff, um, but they also understand that the teachers may not necessarily have the knowledge to share it with them and really sort of, um, you know, really voice that they really want that training and collaboration at a higher level to sort of get that support. Um, and basically the key takeaway was that families really appreciate collaboration. Um, they're really enthusiastic. They want to work along as side educators. They want to make sure that technology and assessments um, are inclusive and they benefit all students. Angel, that's great. I think it's important to note as well that um, this, this research was conducted post-COVID. So when you um, shared that that 38% of families reported that leaders had asked them about their training, had talked to them about, you know, what they needed, the hardware and software. This was post, post COVID, post the time where technology was streaming into the hands of families and students. Um, and I know right before we came on the call there, we had a, a little conversation, you, Erica and I, about that, um, and about kind of the, the, um, the differences that were experienced by both of your students and, and the, and the differences in how they were expected to, to use their technology. Um, again, going off script a little bit here, but would you guys, um, Erica, both Erica and Angel, would you be able to touch on that a little bit? Kind of your experience during that time where our world and education was infused with this technology and how that helped or hindered your students? Yes, I was not, um, I was just beginning to be in the role that I currently am. I was still working in the district, but not in this role. And my daughter's in a self-contained classroom and she's nonverbal. And so um, during COVID, we realized that none of our self-contained students, you know, we were a one-to-one -one district where every student was given a Chromebook except for our self-contained students. And so, but our educate our tech People did not even really realize that. And so COVID brought that to light. And so we were able to make changes and make sure that students that needed um, touchscreen Chromebooks, perhaps touchscreen Chromebooks, realizing that some kids needed screen readers, you know, maybe to know how to access that. So we were able to make a lot of changes that, um, and we were able to, you know, um, you talked about silos. We were working very much in silos and tech versus um, working with ATE working with um, our special ed. So we all were coming to the table daily because we were trying to problem solve for these students and being able to get actual things into their hands and into their parents' hands. And so we also discovered there's so many parents that didn't know how to access Google Classroom, didn't know how to understand how to use um, PowerSchool that we use in our district. And so we set up lots of training, little mini training units and the elementary schools, hands-on in-person and virtually to try and help parents walk through how to actually access that. And that has led to changes moving forward, you know, even with the way we register students and um, understanding that there are lots of parents that are tech savvy, but there's lots of parents that just don't understand how to utilize it. And that doesn't mean their students should not be able to access the same things. We just need to provide more support for the parents themselves in understanding how to get on Google Classroom, how to use the Chromebooks, those kinds of things. So it's created a lot of great change, systemic change, but it was pretty bleak at first when we realized these gaps that nobody ever really saw until COVID. Thanks, Erica. Angel, did you wanna share? Um, um, sure. 
um, uh, sharing from the perspective of a parent who um, I have one student who both of my kids were starting high school uh, that first when COVID hit. And um, so our district was a bring your own device district. Previously, they had classroom uh, laptop carts, I guess you could say. Um, and then they went to one-on-one -on -one when COVID hit. And uh, both of my students were issued, uh, my kids were issued the same Chromebook. Um, I ran into sort of diverse issues there um, with my uh, student who is actually with ADHD, who has, uh, who is academically gifted, actually um, ran into the problem where we had permissions were not set to where uh, they could download the plugins for Google Read and Write and the accommodations that they were, you know, really afforded in their 504 plan. And then with my son, who is in a self-contained classroom and uh, primarily nonverbal, he communicates with um, the an iPad touch chat uh, AAC device. And so um, we actually provide that for him. And um, he was issued a uh, Google Chromebook, but uh, we were sort of locked out because students were issued their own logins and passwords, but there was no sort of way for families to get into the uh, Google Drive accounts for the students or to access Zoom through the student interface or anything like that. So we had quite a quite a learning curve there on, um, you know, helping, you know, the school district recognize that families of students who have um, specifically complex needs really need to have that access and control um, to the student account versus the, um, you know, a student who may be able to remember their own login and keep track of their own. So, and that actually helped in two ways because it also helped our K2 learners who also were in the same situation um, where, you know, they were not able to read yet or log in on their own or, or, you know, follow those, those complex steps. Sometimes it's required to open word documents and log into classroom and things like that. So I think we ended up with a nice collaboration and lessons learned in our district. And they've really kind of gone through because, um, you know, students now have those permissions who have 504 plans on their laptops and special permissions to download things. And, and you know, there's this database of things that, you know, are allowed and apps that are approved. And, and, and slowly we're getting to where those apps are just accessible to everyone as well. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a, a cool shift, right? Um, starting to see kind of that the, some of these tools are, are, are really supportive across the board. Um, thank you both for sharing your, your, your experiences. Um, and again, this was, these were your, just, I think there was a question in the chat, um, about, you know, um, maybe some online learning or, um, these, this, these experiences just described were during, were during COVID. So that was part of the prompt. Um, and also just, um, never had to say this before, but let's be really, um, try to level up our empathy in the chat, um, as, as we're kind of trying to share our, perhaps our frustration, um, Let's just remember that these are parents of, of students with disabilities um, and, and try to bring that level of empathy that we would bring um, to any conversation. So let's keep going. Um, so and, uh, Erica, Erica, you are coming to us today with, from a different maybe perspective than Angel. Angel having worked with us um, on her on, on the lit review, but also then working through her, her dissertation um, and helping us create this framework. We got to then take that framework and then hand it to you and your district to say, here, 
how does this feel? How does this look? What is this? Is this right? And so um, Erica is working with Jenks Public Schools in Oklahoma as part of our framework development partners. And if I know Christine, she's probably getting the link to our partner page right now. You can see the rest of our partners. There might be somebody in your state or in your local area um, to reach out to. But um, Erica, let's talk a little bit about your experience. You know, you've been able to kind of take these practices into your district, dissect them. And how do you feel like the site's family engagement practices that Angel helped us create through her research and how those resources kind of impacted the, the schools and the folks that you're working with in your, in your system? So um, it was great because it made us all come to the table in a sense where we were acting in silos and, and finding similar frustrations, but not collaborating to solve those frustrations. So it, it did create the opportunity for us to come together um, and collaborate and find solutions. And we have continued. We still have a long way to go and there's lots of projects that we're working on, but um, it, it brought us together and then it helped us kind of pool our resources. Um, and certainly we recognize that, you know, our, our motto in our district is students first. And it helped us really focus on that. Um, and when student is first, that means that the family is first. And to look at the student, not just as an individual, but his entire family. Because, you know, if we're wanting to um, reach the student, we have to educate and understand, as we talked about before, the family and where that student's coming from. You know, and maybe we're trying to do some virtual learning opportunities, but that student comes from a home where they don't have any kind of um, Wi-Fi or any kind of access to that. Well, then we need to support them in a community sense too and see what other resources that we can assist them with. Um, so it really did create more of the conversation and the focus on um, the whole child, which includes the family. You know, and we realized that um, we need to do a better job at communicating resources and connecting parents with resources, both in the community and um, within the district. And you know, my role as the parent liaison is I work with parents of students with IEPs and 504s, but this crossed over even to gen ed that, um, you know, sometimes the parents need to understand why something is necessary or why we're trying to put this in their hands. And so we have a digital newsletter that goes out twice a month that, um, shares resources and training opportunities and resources, both not just that the district's offering, but that the community's offering. Um, and that has been very successful. We've been trying to offer virtual trainings and in-person trainings at different times of the day to meet the needs of working parents and um, parents that have an opportunity to get off work. So um, it's really been helpful to for our ed tech and our assistive technology and our special ed for all of us to be partnering to support families in this way. It's, it's really changed um, a lot of dynamics in the district um, and brought us all to the table. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Um, and, and Erica's, you know, speaking to change isn't just something that she's pulled out of the air and just like, it's not anecdotal, right? right? You all have actual data and we'll show you some of that data here in a little bit. Some of the self-assessments that we use to kind of inform um, current current state to, to then um, kind of what we're hoping to do and then eventually um, their, their change. And so um, absolutely, you know, uh, we've got a couple of questions in the chat, so I'm going to um, 
the first one says, uh, do you schedule any systematic follow-up meetings with those parents participating in this experience online or face-to-face? Okay, so um, I think that I'm not sure if this question was about um, the research or if this question was about um, the experience around kind of planning and 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 technology use um, in that in that digital in that virtual learning uh, perspective. I can- With district-wise, we do have some ongoing opportunities for parents with both the the workshops that we try and implement, but then also we have something called our parent advisory board that parents can participate in once a month to bring issues that are specific to our students with diverse needs, um, to bring about issues and then hopefully bring about change and hear the perspective of the parents. And um, then we have ongoing, we offer virtual options where maybe we did it in person, but then we recorded it and then parents can plug in and do follow up. So we, we, we do try and have um, through surveys and then through different face-to-face opportunities, um, opportunities for parents to give feedback because we do want to keep making changes to really meet their needs because needs change. And Angel, did you have anything to add? Were there any like um, follow-up opportunities in your experience being that that parent kind of on that other side um, to provide input? Uh, in our district, there was um, there was a uh, a third party uh, re- survey research uh, organization that was actually hired uh, to do a survey of technology and special education within our district, which was really nice. Um, and then there was just a general uh, family survey that went out in 2022. So our district really, really made a conscious effort to improve family engagement just overall um, after the pandemic. Um, so last year, there, I, I actually was able to participate in some focus groups with a consulting firm, an outside organization that our, our uh, district hired to do an evaluation. Um, I have not actually seen the um, sort of the collaborative published results of that yet, but it did take place at sort of toward the end of 2022 school year. Awesome. So lots of opportunities. Districts, uh, sounds like districts are really recognizing the need to get that parent input. Um, but like you said, Angel, it's it's hopeful to be able to kind of see what comes from some of that and what the, what the outcomes are, right? Um, so we have another question. Would it be beneficial to have district parent workshops in term of terms of class uh, classwork access um, a, on behalf of their children? So Angel, I'm going to toss this one to you first because I know that your research really um, uncovered a lot of thoughts and needs in this area. So, and then Eric, I'm sure you have some some thoughts as well. Yes, um, it is. It is beneficial uh, for districts to host parent parent workshops, um, specifically to help uh, for those consistent tools that are provided. Um, and even if you don't host workshops, I think even having a, a clear link or site um, where you have recorded short videos or um, sending home some emailing parents just links to resources on your website where they can help get access to more information. So connecting your sort of your technology help desk, finding out where things are really happening um, and then helping move that forward into um, 
you know, parent workshops or parent tutorials. And then uh, when the classes themselves, you know, if the parents, if the teachers are using certain platforms, don't expect the teachers to train the parents. Um, districts need to take that ownership, just like they're tra training the teachers, and um, you know, also provide that same level of transparency and training to um, parents. Absolutely, I, I feel like in my working with parents, they have to have almost seven ways to access it, or seven different times of exposure before sometimes they will really take ownership. And so we really try, as Angel described on our website, to have links to short tutorials and a hub. We try and have a tech hotline, so if parents are at home and can't figure out something, they can call that tech hotline. We have um, links to um, access different information about you know, Google Classroom, different things on our newsletter. And then um, we try to utilize like Title I parent nights or when they're having like math night at the local elementary school, things like that, where then we'll have a rotating opportunity for them to get some extra help. Um, if, if we're seeing, you know, parents getting hung up in a certain area. We also, we have a lot of students that use um, assistive tech AAC devices in our, in our district. And so we've started a, an AAC family engagement group that meets once a month. And many times we'll do it virtually. Sometimes we'll do it in person at different schools where we're trying to teach parents and model to them how to use the AAC in daily life um, and try and create a community among these families. So they realize they're not the only one because there really are so many families that with students that use AAC devices. So, you know, we're trying to find new ways every year to, to bring that information to parents so it's not so hard for them or intimidating for them, but truly the more opportunities we put it in front of them, the more likely they are to actually um, begin to, to take ownership and utilize it. Absolutely. And one thing um, that I know came up a number of times, not only Angel, when we were listening in focus groups and kind of analyzing some of the data, but also as we have conversations, as I have conversations with parents that um, I'm supporting either in my past or in my current career, is that for students with more complex learning support needs, they might have physical access needs, maybe don't have the use of their hands, so they use switches. They might maybe uh, complex communicators or neurodiverse, um, um, non speaking. And so there are um, students for whom, or they might have some cognitive um, differences. And so um, even thinking about the way that we manage some of those devices and how we're communicating that management to the families. Um, so making sure that they have, uh, Angela, I know this is a um, was a situation that you were um, had advocated for, but just making sure that, that parents have their login information so that they can log in and see what communications are coming in to those high school students about prom, about homecoming, about all these really important topics that perhaps um, don't come to parents any longer. And so there's this, this um, yes, training is important about what technology the kids are using, but also training um, about how to access just kind of those, those accounts and all of the things that, um, that we provide just um, to all students, right? Um, is there anything else, Angel? I know I, I kind of touched on some things. Is there any, you want to expand on any of that? 
the only thing I wanted to touch on and add, which we found out really essentially, um, which is sort of assumed with with everything we're working on, but is to make sure that the communications that you're providing are also accessible. Keep in mind that a lot of our students' diverse needs are even genetic-based. And so the families that I really found enthusiastic to participate in our focus groups also identified as having a disability for about half of them. So that was a super important thing for us to make those focus groups inclusive and make sure that we provided and were able to really hear their voices. And so be open to diverse ways of communicating with families as well as providing those same diverse opportunities to communicate with the students. And I think uh, I want to go along with that where we found that, you know, sometimes we felt like, oh, that we have this great new uh, program on this Chromebook and it's going to help your students so much. But then we found that there was really going to be an inability for that parent to actually understand and access it. So it wasn't helpful. And so we had to look at that whole child and the family and say, okay, what is actually going to be the most beneficial? This program is beautiful, but it's actually not going to be functional for them within their family. So we need to go back to the drawing table. Um, And then the other thing, touching back on empathy that um, you said, Angel, you know, as a parent of a student with complex needs, like one time I drew out every touch point of every provider, teacher, assistant, therapist, pediatrician, um, pharmacist that I had to keep in my head. And it's like spaghetti noodles. It's, it's ridiculous. And that's what a lot of our parents are dealing with. And so while it can be frustrating as a teacher feeling like I've sent this note home three days in a row, you haven't even opened her folder And it is frustrating, but the reality is sometimes, like someone mentioned in the chat, parents are truly overwhelmed. So we may have to back it up and say, okay, this isn't the priority right now. What's really going on in this family? What is a priority that's going to help get this kid to baseline to actually meet whatever need is going on so then we can build on whatever we need to do next? Um, And sometimes that means pulling in your guidance counselor or if you have school-based therapists, sometimes that's more than a teacher can actually manage. And, but that's why it takes a team, but just trying to have a lot of grace, recognizing that um, these parents deal with a lot more than we see. And so they may not be trying to stonewall you. They may just be really, really overwhelmed. Love that. Um, I'm, I'm pulling out these one word nuggets in my head, empathy, grace, um, you know, and prioritization, prioritize. What is the priority here? Because um, sometimes there are too many plates spinning all at once. And, and I'm right now I'm just keeping this plate spinning. Thanks, Erica. Um, so we have a question from an anonymous attendee. Are parents worried that their child could be consumed by technology? What are the positive and negative effects of using technology on an everyday basis? I'm going to start off here and then I'm going to throw it to you too. So as assistive technology consultant um, and an assistive technology professional, sometimes for students with disabilities, technology is the only way to access certain portions or certain aspects of a, a child's life. For example, Erica's daughter using augmentative and alternative communication supports 
is the only way that she is able to be verbal and and communicate her wants, her needs, her expectations with her environment and the peers in that environment. And so um, when we when we start to again thinking about that word prioritize, um, we might be prioritizing some of that type of technology over some of the technology that we use to consume the YouTube short videos, the um, like, right, some of the video games, some of those types of things. So I think we can start to maybe chunk out the way that we're using technology. Erica, Angel, you can speak to this much better than I can, but I just wanted to kind of preface that we're really talking here about um, those assistive technologies. Um, I can definitely, with my son who uses AAC and um, he is also a visual learner and he auditory processing is not his strong suit. So seeing a video or seeing somebody do something is actually one of the best ways for him to learn. And I have come to realize through watching him play learning um, activities and games on his iPad that he knows a lot more than people assume. And when they see him engage with technology, they start to understand what he really knows and learn him as a person because that's how he can express himself he can navigate the web like nobody's business but he can't say put two words together to save his life um you know it's these types of things that you really really need to understand and the other point that i would make is like on the other side if he watches too much of an overstimulating video on youtube he can become really angry and aggressive so there is as Maggie was pointing out, there's an balance to what technology you have and how you use it. And sort of as a parent learning and as a teacher learning to understand how to provide access to meaningful software and meaningful things versus access to just in general. So just like we have parent controls on everything, I think you just kind of have to learn your own child and teachers need and, you know, need to kind of learn what is meaningful and what provides value to that for each individual student and what actually, you know, exasperates or, you know, is is a distraction to learning. And that's a great teaching point that's needed for parents too, especially during COVID. At least we have found in our area that you know, technology, giving the kid something to occupy his time became something that happened a lot out of, they felt necessity. And so drawing that back and saying, just as Angel just said, finding meaningful things for them to access and use. And, you know, if you can do it in a very um, encouraging, non-judgmental way to encourage parents, well, how about instead of Cocoa Melon, we look at this, or instead of this, we put a time limit and look at this. So I find that parents just need some of that support and teaching and understanding also. Um, And I also wanted to mention, you know, we live in an amazing time where there's so many doors opening for access through technology, Um, in particular for students that have either, you know, language deficits or even intellectual delays where, you know, even Apple, the new um, different things that they are putting out that can be utilized on the iPhones. Um, So many things in the in-home, you know, you can say, Alexa, do this, and she can do all kinds of things. So even my daughter, who is nonverbal, can use her eye gaze to say, Alexa, turn on the lights. Alexa, go to Facebook. Alexa, turn on this radio station. So 
there's so much that we now can teach our kids functionally. There's so much power um, in what is daily being discovered through technology. And who knows what all is going to happen with AI. But we live in a very important age um, for people with diverse abilities that more and more doors are being opened for them. And it's it's tremendously exciting. It's so exciting. Um, and as we think about, you know, how do we build those home environments? How do we build classroom environments that give agency and autonomy um, to to those those kids that maybe haven't experienced that yet? How how empowering. Um, so we're going to kind of start to to wrap things up here. Uh, thank you all um, in the audience for your your participation, the questions. Um, so but I'm going to ask the final question now. And this is one of my favorites. Um, Angel, Erica, let's pretend that you have a crystal ball. What does the future hold for systems, so districts, schools, that really prioritize this inclusive technology and, and making sure that students get what they need um, that incorporate families and um, of children and youth with disabilities? What, is that, what, what does it look like down the road? I think it looks really promising um, for education systems that really prioritize inclusive technology that incorporate families, especially if students with diverse needs um, think more collaboration, uh, you know, technology is a facilitator of collaboration. And so I think as technology continues to evolve and more parents have access and learn the technology, um, we're going to be able to have more um, collaboration opportunities between educators and families. Um, and we're also in the tech industry seeing more platforms that facilitate greater family involvement, um, equipping technology driven feedback mechanisms, for example, that really, you know, asynchronously parents on their own time can sort of provide this feedback and, you know, data driven systems that can then, you know, sort of evaluate that and um, look at options and assess potential improvements in that way. Um, I'm also hopeful for stronger policies and guidelines um, that uphold accessibility standards. Um, I know the web content accessibility guides, the third version is going to be incorporating more uh, with cognitive um, abilities, which is which is really exciting for me. Um, and lastly, I'm kind of confident that our schools and districts um, will build stronger partnerships with technology sectors um, and nonprofit organizations. I think, you know, as government funding becomes sort of variable by year or, you know, budget seems to be tighter and tighter, I think what we're going to see is um, more companies and nonprofits sort of becoming part of that um, community within um within technology systems within education. So I think that'll be an exciting opportunity to kind of see how that evolves over time. I love that. Um, I'm not gonna say it the right way, but maybe you can repeat it again. Technology facilitates collaboration or is the facilitator for collaboration. Whatever you just said, Angel, mm -hmm. is beautiful because um, it's so true and that is the way we are going. Um, I think if we don't move with it, um, we're missing out. I, um, I think we need to keep bringing parents to the table and hearing their voice and hearing their perspective and not forgetting how valuable that is. Um, even even um, district level, bringing their voice to the table to our district leaders to help them hear that perspective. And then I think in turn, that does connect us to the community. And I agree, Angel, it's gonna be really powerful the more we can pull in community partners 
not just the bigger agencies like um, DDSN, DHEC, those kinds of things, but the people that are changing our um, communities financially and um, through resources, because those are the people that are very, very much invested in our communities as well and can create change. So I, I um, applaud all the things that you just said, Angel, and I think it's very exciting where we're at. And I'm just grateful that we have leaders like you all on this panel making a difference. Um, thank you for your voices. What an awesome conversation. Y'all are getting so many kudos in the chat. So um, be sure, Angel and uh, Erica, to check that out. I'm going to zip us up through the end here. Um, so thank you again for the panel discussion. What an honor it was to, to kind of walk through that conversation with you both. And I wanted to end on a quote um, by Dr. Joy Smiley Zabala. Uh, Joy was a colleague of mine, a friend. Um, Erica got to know her quite well as well. Um, Joy was the, um, she was a primary investigator on this project um, until her, her death. Um, and she was, I call her the godmother of assistive technology. And I love this quote. She said, I used to think I was passionate about assistive technology. What I've learned is that I'm very passionate about participation and learning. So this is not about the technology. This is about people's lives, living and learning, and the functions that have to do with that. And that is where the passion lies. So thank you both for bringing your passion today. Um, and uh, Christine dropped it in the chat. Girl, you were getting it with those links today. Um, and I did see a question in the chat about sending all those great resources out. We got your emails. So we'll zip out um, links to the website and a few key resources around family engagement um, to you. So yes, sit tight. We'll, we'll zip those out to you. Um, but if you are interested in continuing on in this conversation with other people across the country and really thinking about how to build systems that honor families around technology, inclusive technology planning, join the conversation. We've got a great community of practice where people, again, all across the country are coming in. Um, we meet every other month for an hour. We have great breakout conversations, gather resources from the framework and from other great centers that OSEP funds. And we'll continue that conversation in Slack as well so that we have our own private Slack group. Um, so do head on over to that page and um, we'll get you set up with that. So thank you. Um, this information is going to be on the website. We'll also zip this, this out to you um, and sites.cast.org. There's plenty of places there to get a hold of all of us if you have any questions. And do know, again, this project is funded by the U.S. Department of, Educa uh, US Department of Education Office of Special Education Programs through a grant. However, the contents do not necessarily represent the policy of the U.S. Department of Education, and you should not assume endorsement. Um, our project officer is Anita Vermeer. And again, just a reminder, all of the resources that were shared with you today are all openly licensed. We just ask that you say that you got it from us. Thank you again, Erica and, and Angel um, for, for having this great conversation with us today. And thank you all for joining. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Thanks, y'all. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.